Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. the set at the belt and the one two breaking ball ground ball base hit past the diving third baseman Riley and into left field Garcia will jog in to score the tying run Joy Manessis delivers this game is tied now here's Jamer Candelario he walked and scored in the fourth he's 0 for 1 the set of the pitch swing a high high fly ball right field Acuna back to the warning track near the wall he looks up and it is off the top of the wall and gone it hits atop the fence down the right field line in the corner the 16-foot wall it just had enough to get over a rain-making two-run homer for Candelario gives the Nationals a 4-2 lead here in the sixth Yates with that devastating splitter comes set and he throws and the pitch is hit in the air to right center field and deep this one's way back it may go and it is long long gone it clears the Braves bullpen in right center field home run number two in the season for Dom Smith makes it a 6-2 Nationals lead. That was a no-doubter on the first pitch delivered from Kirby Yates. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, June 12th, 2023. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the show, but I'm very pleased to be joined by the mastermind, the brains of the Nats Chat Podcast, the great Tim Shovers, and we have a Nationals win to discuss, a 6-2 win at the National League East leading Atlanta Braves on Sunday afternoon to avoid a three-game sweep. The Nats now are 26-38. and The Braves now 40-25, and tied with the Nats' previous opponent, the uh, National League West leading Arizona Diamondbacks for the best record in the National League. The Nats' schedule has stiffened here lately. We've talked about that. If you start with that Memorial Day night game, at the mighty Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, the Nats, over 11 games starting with that game, are just 3-8. and eight. But one of the three wins did come on Sunday afternoon. It was nice to see this, a five-run top of the six for the Nats. Tim, this was not a great series for the Nats. They didn't play particularly well in a good chunk of this series, but they certainly did enough well to win on Sunday afternoon. Haven't been many Nats wins lately, so nice to see what we did see on Sunday. Yes, it was a good win, Al, by the Nats. I know the Nats have obviously had a lot of struggles and we're catching them at a really difficult time this season, but if they get decent pitching, which they got for Trevor Williams after the first, and if the A bullpen's ready to go, 
they can get a win here too. They're a pretty good team if all those stars are aligned. Obviously, just a matter of how often those stars come into alignment. The Braves are a really good team. You really get an appreciation for that in seeing them up close and personal over three games, as we all just did here with this weekend series. But the Nats can't compete to what Tim just said. It's just that, you know, when you have a pitcher who gets rocked or you have a defense that falls apart, as was the case in that two-run Braves eight on Friday night, things can get wonky and things can get difficult. And we've seen that here way too much lately. You know, it was funny with the Nats hitting in this series. So the Nats over the three games totaled just 12 runs, totaled just 24 hits, totaled just three walks. The Nats are not working nearly enough walks here these days. But the Nats in that five-run six inning on Sunday afternoon <laughs> ended up providing a good portion of what the Nats offense ended up being in this series. Five of the Nats' 12 runs in the series came in that top of the sixth on Sunday afternoon. Five of the Nats' 24 hits in the series came in that top of the six on Sunday afternoon. And this was some inning by the Nats. Hey, we have seen this here in recent weeks, right? The Nats are capable of these offensive eruptions in singular innings. And that was on display here on Sunday. So Luis Garcia began the Nats five-run six with a leadoff first pitch double to right field, one of three first pitch extra base hits by the Nats in this inning. Then Joey Manessis in the five-run six had an RBI single through the left side of the infield on a one-two pitch to tie the game at two. Then Jamer Candelario in the five-run six, a first pitch two-run home run to right field for a 4-2 Nats lead. Then Kbert Ruiz in the five-run six, a one-out opposite field single to left center field. And then came the mightiest blow, Dominic Smith, a home run. Yes, <laughs> you heard that right, Dom Smith. A home run a day after a game in which he did not start. Dom Smith went long ball. He in the five run six, a one out first pitch, two run homer on a blast to right center field for a 6 2 Nats lead. 444 feet per stat cast. This was just Dom Smith's second home run this season, just his first home run since April 29th. And that was how we got a five-run six on Sunday afternoon. Tim, there was so much to take in with that inning, but how about Dominic Smith hitting a homer and off, not an off day, because he did end up coming off the bench on Saturday, but off his first game, not starting in a long time. That was something. I salute Dom Smith. Friday night, you know, the spotlight came on him, and there was a lot of criticism, and uh, I'll admit I was one of those people thinking there should be a different first baseman on Saturday. Davey agreed, but he comes out, and it's his first homer since <laughs> April 29th. I mean, I know the Nats have a bit of comical lack of power, but <laughs> your first baseman who plays every single day, how many other major league teams have a first baseman who plays every day from late April to mid-June? But he picked a heck of a time to do it. We'll see what this week holds for Dom Smith. If he, I imagine there'll be a lot more spotlight on him on Tuesday night in Houston, but job well done. You know, it's... So odd and so funny and so quirky even how these things can play out. So Dominic Smith not starting on Saturday. That marked the first time since April 27th that he had not started a game. And Tim just mentioned it. The homer on Sunday afternoon was Dom's first homer since April 29th. So let's think about that. His last homer came shortly after a day on which he did not start. And now his next homer comes the day after a day on which he does not start a game. Something to think about. Maybe some more off days for Dom Smith might be in order here. But yeah, I mean, it did feel good to see him do well. I mean, you don't like to see anyone struggle. 
He has been in this weird place. I keep bringing this up because I think it is worth bringing up. He is getting on base, and so I think he deserves credit for that. He actually has one of the better on-base percentages on the Nats. Dom Smith's OBP for this season is at 343. That's actually pretty good, so I don't think we should lose sight of that. But the lack of power has been, you know, startling. I mean, two homers on the season, a slugging percentage even now off the homer on Sunday afternoon of just 311, and the defense has fallen off. So, yes, very much so. Good for him for doing what he did. We saw Jamer Candelario homer. You know, he's cooled off a little bit here lately, but on the whole, Jamer for this season now, on base percentage of 330, slugging percentage of 446. That's an OPS of 776. That's number two on the Nats in terms of qualified position players. Only Lane Thomas at 789 has been better. You know, I have seen some people suggest that the Nats should be open to Candelario as a piece moving forward. I don't personally view him that way. I think he is a trade ship and I think he should be viewed as such. But where are you on Candelario? Would you be open to him being here beyond this season? Or do you think the Nats should be looking to trade him once we get closer to the trade deadline? Only if the market, for whatever reason, can't bear any fruit on him. But if he can be traded for something of you know legitimate value in return, I think you do. If they do keep him, I would say that should be option B for Mike Rizzo. Having followed the trade market, obviously, very closely the last few years with the Nationals and seeing just how stingy things have become, especially with veterans who who don't pitch and or play shortstop, I don't know how much they're going to fetch for him, even though there's clearly a contender in two months that very much could use him every day because he's probably better than the bottom 10 starting third baseman in baseball. Would you agree? Uh, I would like to think so. I mean, certainly the Candelario we've seen the last few weeks is better than that. I mean, the Candelario who was on display earlier this season was pretty bad, but uh, that guy is, you know, almost a distant memory at this point. I mean, his numbers for the season are acceptable, maybe even more than acceptable. His defense, for the most part, has been pretty good. I don't think he's, like, embarrassed himself at third base or anything like that. But you make a key point, and yeah, like, you can want to trade a bunch of people, but the market is ultimately going to dictate who you are able to trade and for what. And that was one of the real shames of last season. Beyond the Juan Soto, Josh Bell mega trade, the Nats were only able to trade away A. Ray Adrianza. That was it. There was no market really for anyone else. So yeah, I mean, the Nats can aggressively shop Jamer Candelario, but uh, if the fish ain't biting, then there's not much that you can be doing. But yeah, I mean, to see him have the season that he's having, which again, is not great, but you know, I think it's come from being really bad to now actually decent, if not good. You'd like to think you can maybe get something for the guy. And, you know, I'll always maintain this, something is better than nothing. You know, even if it is some prospect who isn't that well regarded. You never know what can happen with the guy. I mean, this has become overused at this point, but John Lester for Lane Thomas is like the ultimate example of how you never know. So if you can trade someone for something, anything, do it and then see what happens. But really good job by the Nats in this inning to erupt like this. To beat the Braves, you have to score. It's very difficult to beat the Braves 2-1, 3-2, although <laughs> the Nats only gave up two runs in this game on Sunday afternoon. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. 
Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and displaced lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Are you looking for tickets to an upcoming event? DC might not have been on the Taylor Swift circuit, but still plenty of other events in the nation's capital, such as the Ed Sheeran concert in a few weeks in Landover. That's why you should download the GameTime app. Create an account and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. You get cheaper tickets and it helps the podcast a bit. Sounds like a smooth 643 double play. Again, create an account and redeem the code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Terms apply. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. And now the pitch. Check swing and a pop-up. Smith going back at first, backpedaling. He makes the catch in shallow right. And a curly W's in the books in Atlanta. Under Harvey, the very next pitch jammed Ronald Acuna Jr. An excuse me swing and a blue pop-up ends the game here in Atlanta. A 1-2-3 inning for Hunter Harvey to close it out. And the Nationals on the field here to celebrate a victory in Atlanta as they beat the Braves here this afternoon. A curly W of the books. The final score of the Nationals 6 and the Braves 2. The pitching in this game ended up being quite good. And we in this game saw the A bullpen, like Tim said earlier, and the bullpen in this game, three relievers for the Nats combining for four scoreless innings. You know, actually in this series, the Nats bullpen was not a problem. The Nats bullpen overall in this series, two earned runs in 10 innings. What happened on Friday night, first of all, the Nats lost on Friday night because they didn't hit enough. They lost that game 3-2. But second of all, that two-run Braves eighth was far more about the Nats' bad defense than that inning was about Kyle Finnegan. But in this game on Sunday afternoon, you had a very nice performance by Carl Edwards Jr. Two scoreless innings. He provided a scoreless bottom of the sixth and a perfect bottom of the seventh. You got Finnegan going out there and giving you a scoreless bottom of the eighth. And then he had Hunter Harvey appearing in a game for the first time since two Friday nights ago. First time since the 8-7 win over the Phillies on June 2nd. And uh, Harvey on Sunday afternoon, just fine. A perfect bottom of the ninth inning. So really good stuff from the Nats bullpen on Sunday. Yes, it was. Hunter Harvey, kudos to him on that great play he made on the comebacker. That was really, really impressive and avoided any real threat of the Braves having a big inning. Harvey kicks, delivers, swinging a shot off Harvey's leg. Now he finds the ball toward the plate and throws to Smith, who stretches and holds it in for the outs. It is nice to see that Carl Edwards Jr. can be part of a varsity bullpen on certain days when need be. And uh, I do like that, of course, the timing of the win is nice with an off day coming up, and then they're going into Houston fresh. And, you know, maybe the Nats with a fresh bullpen could steal a series win going into Houston like that. So I thought a lot of good things today. Well, you would think that Davey Martinez can start to lean on Harvey and Finnegan again, given how infrequently each guy has pitched lately. 
It's been a weird deal. I mean, with Finnegan especially, he this season either doesn't pitch at all or he gets overused. There's like no middle ground with him this season. His appearance on Friday night was his first appearance in a game since the previous Friday night, that aforementioned 8-7 win over the Phillies on June 2nd. And then Harvey ends up not pitching for more than a week. He goes from Friday, June 2nd until this game on Sunday without appearing in a game. And then he comes into the game on Sunday afternoon and gives you that perfect bottom of the ninth. It's a weird deal because, you know, especially with Harvey and his injury history, you almost feel like you're darned if you do, darned if you don't. If you use him too much, then you're guilty of overusing the reliever. In Harvey's case, you have to be so careful because the guy's been hurt so often in his career. And yet, you don't want to underuse your best relievers, and you don't have a great bullpen to begin with. In fact, you have a bullpen that, at least up until recently, had not been going so well. So it's tough if you're Davey Martinez. I think it's tough if you're any major league manager to manage a bullpen. On the other hand, though, it's like, does it make sense that your two best relievers ended up going a week slash week plus without pitching? You know, like you take a step back and you look at that and you say, okay, if you do believe that Harvey and Finnegan are your top two relievers, how does Finnegan not pitch between two Fridays? And how does Harvey not pitch between a Friday and then two Sundays later? Like that doesn't seem right. And the other thing I wonder about too with Harvey is, you know, yes, you don't want to overuse him, but I do think that there's such a thing as underusing someone. And if a guy has injury history, you know, can his arm, can his body go cold and not pitching for more than a week And then let's say now Davey ends up using Harvey multiple times in this upcoming series at the Astros. Is that maybe bad for Harvey physically to have not pitched for so long and then all of a sudden pitch a bunch? Maybe the answer is no. I don't know. But you do wonder about that. So it's never simple. And like I said, it's not easy with managing these relievers. I actually have sympathy for these managers with bullpen management because it's the easiest thing in the world to second guess. And so often there aren't right answers. It's more like, You do something and you hope that it ends up looking good, but you're not sure if it's going to look good. It's even harder today because now starters are expected to go just five or six innings. So managers now have to plan for three or four innings every single night. And I don't care, you know, if you're the Tampa Bay Rays and you got an army of prospects lined up in the minors, there's only so many good relievers you're realistically going to have on your team that are ready to go on a given day. So I'm with you on that. One other thing to your point, Al, and I tiptoe into this with Harvey and the lack of usage, and you also mentioned Finnegan. Just a little extra context. So it was a very weird week for the Nats between the unexpected Thursday cancellation with air quality. They got routed against Philly off day on Monday. I'm sure Harvey would have pitched the ninth inning on Friday night in Atlanta. So as I offhand sort of recollect on the week and maybe why Harvey didn't pitch for so long. Yeah, the Nats very much have had, I would argue, too many off days lately. That's another thing about this Nats season. The Nats, it feels like, have either had too many off days bunched together or like no off days at all. And if you just look at where we've been with the Nats here recently, had an off day on June 1st, had an off day on this past Monday, June 5th, had the unexpected off day this past Thursday, June 8th, now have another off day on Monday, June 12th, you know, could have had an off day on this Sunday, June 11th. Rain was all over the forecast in the Atlanta area for Sunday afternoon. It's actually a minor miracle. This game was played and was played uninterrupted because at least going into the game, or at least going into Sunday, rain was uh, very much on the minds of people in uh, the ATL. By the way, I got my pregame weather report from my mom. So my parents live 10 minutes away from the stadium. So I was able to get up to date. 
uh, firsthand account. The Nats had two off days the entire month of May in that 31-day month. And as you mentioned, now it seems like they've had a litany already. So let's keep this in mind for when we probably have like a 27 games and 26-day stretch in mid-August that we have to get through. Yeah, well, and you're about to embark on a stretch, uh, pretty good one here with no off days. Once you have the off day on Monday and you start the three-game series at the Houston Astros on Tuesday night, that's from that point until June 29th, don't have any scheduled off days. June 13th through June 28th, zero scheduled off days now because you have that makeup against Arizona on June 22nd. The Nats are going to play an afternoon game against the Diamondbacks at home on Thursday afternoon, June 22nd, and then have to fly out west for a six-game trip, three games at San Diego, three games at Seattle. Such is uh, the way things can go with the Major League Baseball schedule. Well, the Nats' starting pitcher in this uh, 6-2 win at the Braves on Sunday afternoon was Trevor Williams. Trevor Williams this season has been solid. Basically, every time we talk about Trevor Williams, we more or less say the same thing, Not great, but not awful. Just a solid, decent performance, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I would argue that Trevor Williams on Sunday afternoon actually was better than solid, better than decent. Two runs in five innings with six strikeouts versus one walk. The biggest nit to pick with Trevor Williams is that he's not particularly good at lasting long into games. There is a third time through the order penalty with Trevor Williams that clearly Davey Martinez tries to avoid. But Williams, for the most part, has been pretty reliable here this season. And, you know, against one of the best teams in baseball, two runs in five innings with six strikeouts is more than acceptable. He gave up seven hits, a homer, a double, and five singles. He threw 84 pitches, 53 strikes versus 31 balls. This was another game in which an ad starter got off to a rough start and then pitched well. The two runs that Williams allowed came in the bottom of the first, during which he gave up a leadoff first pitch infield single by Ronald Acuna Jr. toward third base and a two-run homer by Matt Olson on a bomb to right field on a 1-2 pitch for a 2-0 Braves lead. That homer went and projected 421 feet per stat cast. Ended up being outdone by the Dominic Smith Ruthian clout of 444 feet. But, you know, Trevor Williams, to me, continues to do a pretty good job. This season, 13 starts, ERA of 411. No, he's not a Cy Young candidate. But to me, you can live with that from a number four, even number three starter on a two-year $13 million contract, as Williams is. I think Williams is, of all the players who have you know, sort of met the call of duty for the beginning of the season. I think he is definitely at the forefront of that for the Nationals, along with Jamer Candelario. Really stepped up, as you said. Right as you were leading into your point, I was wondering, like, is he a four? Is he a three? Where do we classify him? I'm still not exactly sure, especially while Gray and Gore have struggled as of late. The Nats needed a victory, flat out. And Trevor Williams served as a bit of a stopper. And the six-game skid before moving to Houston, which could very easily be a sweep, of course. I thought it was a really impressive performance by him. Yeah, I mean, I think on this rotation, on this team, Trevor Williams is your number three with uh, either Gore or Gray as your number one, and then the other guy uh, with a last name starting with the letter G as your number two. But yeah, I think ideally, Trevor Williams is a four or a five, like on a really good team. But how many teams now are deep enough in terms of starting pitching to where someone like Trevor Williams would be your number five? Like, that's not really how this works anymore. So, you know, realistically, he's a number four, maybe a number three if you're not oozing starting pitching depth. But he's done a pretty good job this season. So it was good to see that. And, you know, the thing about Trevor Williams, and I I don't think we should minimize this, He pitched well last season for the Mets, and I do think there is something to be said for pitching well in a baseball-mad city as New York is, because there is a pressure 
in pitching for a team like the Mets that you don't have with a lot of other teams. It's not exclusive to the Mets, but there aren't many other teams in which the spotlight is on you as there is when you're pitching for the Mets or the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Red Sox, teams like that. And that Williams pitched well in that environment, I think says something like he's got some chops to him. And so we shouldn't be stunned that he did a good job against, again, a very good Braves team here on Sunday afternoon. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, we all know what summer means. Uh, Summer means baseball. Summer usually means more home runs in baseball, but uh, summer also means heat and humidity and your energy bills being rather high due to your air conditioning working extra innings. It is time to beat the heat with Window Nation's summer sale. Save thousands of dollars with an outstanding offer. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. All you have to do is call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Increase the value of your home by up to $12,000. Hey, make your neighbors jealous. Who doesn't want to do that? Again, the Window Nation summer sale. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Nat Chat is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Check out their selection of shorts and pants that come with the comfort of built-in liners. Bird Dogs make you look good. Bird Dog Stretch Khaki Shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Go to birddogs.com pool and enter promo code pool, P-O-O-L, for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com pool for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off, we promise you. To uh, do some different things and uh, to give him a, a break here was nice. Um, we're gonna eventually have to do that to you know all our young guys here soon. So we had these days off coming up, so we thought we gave Jake a, a, a breather. But you know he can be available out of bullpen as well. I mean we you know we just want to not have him start, and then uh, he'll, he'll get back in rotation next time around. Next up for them is this off day on Monday and then this three-game series at the Astros. Now, interestingly, the Nats in this series are skipping Jake Irvin's turn in the rotation. Now, you wonder, well, why exactly is this the case? Davey Martinez addressed this during his pregame session with reporters on Sunday. I mean, I think if you're being honest about this, this is about two things. Number one, Jake Irvin is young and the organization is monitoring his workload this season, so you're not trying to have him pitch every five days for the rest of this season. But number two, Irvin has not been pitching well lately. So it might not be the worst thing in the world for him to take a bit of a mental break here and then get back at it. So the Nats in this series at the Astros, Tuesday night, 8-10, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Wednesday night, 8-10, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. And Thursday night, 8-10, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. So we're seeing Gray and Gore be tested here. Those were the Nats' first two starters for this series at the Mighty Braves, and uh, those will be the Nats' last two starters for this big series coming up at the Astros. Yeah, really exciting. It'll be the first time back in Houston since uh, you-know-when in Game 7, so that should be celebrated. I know, obviously, it's been an interesting PS 
since then. But I like the Jake Irvin's getting the skip start. Just hit a reset, give him a break, see if maybe he comes out better in his next outing and gives you opportunity to see what he's got out of the bullpen. So let's say Irvin pitches on Tuesday or Wednesday from the pen. It can give him two innings if the bullpen's tired. So good uses by Davey Martinez reading the calendar and seeing what Irvin can produce. All right, some college baseball for you. A salute to the University of Virginia baseball team, which has made the College World Series. You know, we this year in the uh, baseball NCAA tournament have had some great local representation. If you, in fact, include UVA as a local school, which I personally do, I get that Charlottesville, Virginia isn't uh, exactly next door to Washington, D.C., but the Cavaliers back-to-back routes of Duke to overcome a 1-0 series deficit and win the best of three Charlottesville Super Regional in the NCAA tournament. Two games to one. Saturday afternoon, a 14-4 win. Sunday afternoon, a 12-2 win. And next up is the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. So Maryland did not make the College World Series, made the NCAA tournament. George Mason did not make the College World Series, made the NCAA tournament. But uh, Wahoo Wah is off to Omaha. So Great to have that be the case. The school that gave us Ryan Zimmerman, the school that gave us Sean Doolittle, has uh, its team in the College World Series. Now, while we're talking about the NCAA tournament, Saturday night ended up being another Paul Skeens night for LSU. Uh, LSU taking on Kentucky in uh, LSU stage here in the NCAA tournament. This ended up being a 14-0 LSU route of Kentucky. And Paul Skeens, another gem, the guy who is being talked up as the best pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg. He on Saturday night against Kentucky, seven and two-thirds scoreless innings, nine strikeouts versus one walk. He allowed just four hits. The Paul Skeens hype continues to just be out of control, which is a good thing. And, you know, we keep talking about him as uh, being the potential, if not likely, selection of the Nats with the number two overall pick in the 2023 MLB draft. Do you think if the Nats do take Skeens, that he immediately becomes the face of the Nats rebuild? I know that's a subjective thing, and you could assign that to a variety of people for a variety of reasons. But given the hype, Given that he would be someone who the Nats are selecting as opposed to trading for, do you think that Skeens would become the face of the rebuild in the way that I think in a lot of ways Steven Strasburg became the face of the previous rebuild, or would you not go that far with Skeens? I would say that he does become the face of the rebuild, but not quite to the Strasburg level just because the cupboard was so bare when Strasburg came to town. Following James Wood, for instance, is a lot of fun. He gets promoted. He hits a home run. Maybe he's playing in Bowie, Maryland. That's all good and well, but it's even more exciting when it's a pitcher, obviously once a week or once every five days or whatever. And then as a Nationals fan, this is a fun minor league layout. For someone like this, you can go down and see him pitch in Fredericksburg. Wilmington's not that far away if, if you live by I-95. Harrisburg even isn't too difficult. And then they play in Bowie, Maryland, and they'll play once or twice a year for six games at a time. So I think, Al, if Skeens comes in and starts pitching well, I think it could be really a fun thing for the hardcore fans with a car to check out. Yeah, I agree. Again, it's subjective. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I mean, James Wood right now is a top 10 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. He is local. He is impressive physically. He's killing it. He's climbing through the system. So if you want to say he's the face of the rebuild, you certainly can say that. I mean, obviously, the likes of Josiah Gray and K-Bit Ruiz and Mackenzie Gore and C.J. Abrams already are playing for the Nats at the major league level. But I do think that 
there's something different about drafting someone versus trading for someone in terms of like who is the face of the rebuild. Because with the trades, A, you didn't pick them, like you traded for them, but you didn't actually pick them. But the other thing is when you acquire those guys, it's not a one for one. Like the Nats didn't trade Max Scherzer for Josiah Gray. Gray was one of four prospects who the Nats got back in a trading away of Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. James Wood was one of five prospects, six players who the Nats got back in the Juan Soto, Josh Bell trade. So it's kind of like You trade away these known faces, you get back a bunch of people, and then you as a fan are sort of playing catch up on those people. Okay, who is he again? Where does he come from? With Skeens, it's different. There's a buildup to the Nats having this number two overall pick. There is a hype for Skeens that is very rare. You know, again, being talked up as the best pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg. Obviously, nothing's guaranteed. I mean, Paul Skeens could end up being a huge flop, and it's not even a certainty that the Nats are going to draft him. But I think there is sort of a a ramping up of an excitement for a guy like this if your team ends up taking him. And I think what you said, too, is so true. With a pitcher, his starts become like an event. And that's always something about Strasburg in 2010 when he made his debut and then made those ensuing starts that I'll never forget. Steven Strasburg's starts became it became like an NFL team where, you know, you play once a week, you have the build up to the game. People get excited for it. Actually, Strasburg's second start was a Sunday afternoon start against Cleveland, I remember. So it was like an NFL game in that regard. But yeah, you can more easily sort of take in a pitcher. You can process each start. You can get excited for the next start. And if a guy is throwing, you know, 100 plus miles per hour as Skeens can, I think he very much could become the face of the rebuild, even though he'll be entering it, you know, a few years into the rebuild actually happening. As we tape, LSU's up 1-0 in the best of three series. They play at 6 o'clock tonight against Kentucky. If they make it to Omaha, talk about the build-up to the draft and all part of this, if in the end it's Skeens at number two to the Nationals, that'd be a lot of fun at the College World Series. There'd be like a real potential local angle to it, and if he's dealing and throwing 98 or throwing 100 on ESPN at night against whether it's UVA or Florida or Wake Forest or whoever, that'd be a fun extra thing as well to help build up that hype before he even makes his first start, which would be in West Palm, I guess. I forget how it works when you're first drafted. Uh, yeah, I mean, with him, you know, I wouldn't put any limits on anything with him where he starts and where he winds up. I mean, he could be pitching for the Nats at the major league level uh, very soon, as in like next season, next April, potentially. We'll see. And, you know, with him pitching in the College World Series, if LSU makes it that far, I think there is sort of a push-pull from a Nats perspective because, you know, it's like, save those bullets for the Nats, okay? Like, I don't want to see you throwing 100-plus pitches for LSU anymore. Like, LSU lose so Paul Skeens can have as much firepower in that arm for his major league career if, in fact, it ends up happening with the Nats. Well, you tell us what you think. You can always find us on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can always email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can also find uh, us on Twitter. I'm at, at Al Galdi. Mark Zuckerman is at Mark Zuckerman. And we want to send out a special salute to Bob McClure Jr., the father of a loyal listener of this podcast, Chris McClure. Bob McClure Jr. has started stage three cancer treatments, obviously is in the midst of a very difficult battle. We want to tell Bob that uh, we certainly wish him all the best. He is in our thoughts and our prayers. And uh, I know I speak for a lot of people in saying that. So all the best to Bob, all the best to Chris and the McClure family. And uh, thank you very much, 
for reaching out. And thank you very much for listening to this show. We always uh, very much appreciate everyone for being a part of this thing. We have a new website, natschatpodcast.com. You can listen to previous shows in their entirety. You can also order yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Again, that website is natschatpodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat Podcast. Check out his site, timnewmark.com. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. The runner goes, the pitch to the plate. Is hit in the air to left center field and deep, chasing back call on the go to the track at the wall. He leaps, and he makes a spectacular catch up against the fence and slams into the wall and holds on. Alex Call saves the day here in the sixth inning, robbing Harris at the top of the fence in left center. What a catch, maybe the best of the season for Alex Call.